have been teaching several times that I have taught on Sunday morning and Wednesday night on a series called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And I really had not intended to continue that after the last Wednesday night that I taught. I thought, I'm done. And then, lo and behold, I wasn't done. Uh, The Holy Spirit started to tell me something else about it. And I thought, oh my goodness, is this series going to go on forever? Uh, But I have learned over my years of ministry that you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do or it is fruitless. It doesn't mean anything if you do it on your own. You've got to go by what the Holy Spirit says. So there's somebody here today or watching online or we'll we'll hear it later that really needs to hear what I want to share with you this morning. So I want to start with uh, looking at Matthew 11th chapter. Out of the Message Bible, this has been our foundational scripture And uh, I love the way it starts, especially this morning. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. And it says, are you tired? Oh, okay. Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Now, don't take that down, Larry, but I just want to say religion will wear you out. Because religion... Uh, is keeping a bunch of rules. And it's trying to earn something. Religion tries to earn something. And so if you're burned out on religion, it's because you have been practicing religion. Because it will wear you out. And Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I'll just, I'll just uh, inject this. Last, I said I didn't get a lot of sleep. I, I woke up real early, and I thought, I have got at least three hours that I can sleep if I can just go back to sleep. And I lay there for probably an hour or so, and, and I, was just, I was just thinking, oh, I've got to go to sleep. 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 And I was wide awake, and I heard the Holy Spirit say this, Let me show you how to go to sleep. I thought, that's okay. I need to find out. And so he began to show me about meditating on the Word of God. So I I pulled up in my memory uh, Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And I went through all of that. And I started in on something else, and that's the last I knew. And he, sh- he showed me how to go to sleep. So, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, this is the part that we have been emphasizing. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I, I want to go ahead and read the rest of it here, though. But I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I want to share with you this morning about the Unforced Rhythms of Grace, Part 5. I know you thought it's gone on forever, but it's just been five times. 
So uh, what I want to share with you this morning is about grace. Now, we've, we've covered a lot of aspects of this. We've covered walking with Jesus, how he wants to talk with you, how he has conver- wants to have conversations with you, what pleases him. We've talked about um, the um, different aven- areas of grace, some some other areas of grace, which has to do with your gifting, which has to, there's just a lot of aspects of it that we've talked about. But I want to talk about another aspect of grace that he is talking about here, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, the Bible, uh, in the Amplified especially, uses a definition of grace as unmerited favor a lot of times. And that's, that is part of it, but that's not all of it. You know, we are God's favorite. You can look in the mirror when you get home, and you can say, for sure, I am God's favorite. God does favor you. If you're born again especially, he favors you. It's kind of like... I I can liken it to uh, me with my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. I figured up, and Pastor and I have 31 descendants, starting with three. We had three children. They all married, so we added three more. Then they started having kids. Lots of kids. And we got 11 grandchildren, then 12 grandchildren. And then they started getting married. And so we added six more. We have six grandkids that's gotten married. And then they started having kids. And so now we have six great grandkids and one on the way. So we have almost 31 descendants. And I can tell you that every single one of them are my favorite. Every one of them. I, was, I, I remember back when Zach uh, was oh, just a, a probably pre-teen. And after church one Sunday, uh, that was when we went out for, for lunch on Sunday, and... and uh, Zach wanted to go to uh, Subway. Well, that's not my favorite place to go. And uh, so we talked about it, and I said, I said, well, let's just go to Subway. Zach wants to go. So he was riding with his mom, and uh, when we got there, Kim whispered to me, Zach thinks he's your favorite. And I thought, Good. My goal is to make every single one of my grandkids and my great-grandkids think that they're my favorite. And I think that's the way God is. So, so unmerited favor is a good definition because we did not earn that favor. It's unmerited. And you know, my grandkids and great-grandkids and even kids did not earn my favor. They were my favorite. They were my favorites because they were in my family. And lo and behold, every time one got married, that person that 
was outside the family, moved into our family. They became my favorite. And that's the way God is. When you move into God's family by being born again, you become his favorite. There are benefits to favor. Let me tell you, there is benefits. My grandkids can tell you there are benefits from favor that some of the other kids maybe in the church would not even dare come and ask me to borrow my car or, you know. But they know if they ask Mimi and Mimi has it, Mimi's going to give it to them. That's just the way Mimi is. Well, God's the same way. There are benefits to unmerited favor. But that's not all. Thankfully, uh, it starts out, we begin to move into God's grace in Ephesians, 5, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 5. Let's look at that in the Amplified. Even when we were dead and slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him, for it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved and delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he raised us up. Uh, I don't know if I That's not part, but I'll go ahead and read it because it's so good. And he raised us up together with him and made us set down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of us being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah and the anointed one. So when you decided you needed salvation and you came to, to uh, you know, you begin to pray about it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, uh, righteousness, and with the mouth we confess or declare openly and speak out freely our faith and confirm our, foundation, our salvation. So, it's by grace that you are saved. It's not of works. The next verse says, lest any man would boast. So you, you could not save yourself. You couldn't save yourself. All you could do was just say, Lord, save me. Or do what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. That's all you could do. And God just zapped you, and you were born again, and you did not have to earn it. So you were saved by grace. Hallelujah. So that's where you first encountered this grace that is available to you from God. It's a wonderful part of the grace. But there are some people that are teaching. I hope they've quit, but they are teaching in the body of Christ. I heard it with my own ears. That once you are saved by grace, you don't have to worry about works anymore. I mean, you don't have to uh, do anything more. It's a done deal. Well, 
That's partially true. But in verse uh, 10 of, um, would you go to verse 10 in Romans, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians 5. I'll find it real quick. Okay, here we go. Now, this is right on the tail. You know, we, we read uh, Ephesians 5, 2, 5, and then uh, we found out that it's by grace that you're saved. And then verse 10 says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. Why? See, that's, that's the unmerited favor of God. He, he caused you to be born again. You could not do it on your own. Why? So that you could do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Once we're born again by grace, then we have a lifestyle that we must live. There is a lifestyle. Don't let anybody tell you. We need to be different than the world. If we act and do and present ourselves to the world just like the world does, they won't know that we're God's children. We need to live the good works. We need to do something. We need to be changed. And you know what? You could not earn your salvation. You needed help. You couldn't do it by yourself. Do you know what? You cannot live a godly life by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You need God's grace. You need God's grace for more than just to get born again. You need God's grace to move you to where God intends for you to be on the good life, on the good path. And some people never find it because they think they have to earn it. They think they have to do it on their own. They think they're going to have to grit their teeth and, and not do what they used to do. But I've got good news for you. Help is on the way. Another word for grace is help. And so I want to look at um, James, the fourth chapter. We're going to start in verse 4. Um, it's all of, of, all of the first part of James here is talking about some things that, that James has probably discovered just being around a lot of Christians. And it starts out what leads, leads to strife. Talks about conflicts, talks about sensual desires, warring in your bodily members, um, talks about jealousy, covetousness, uh, your desires going unfulfilled, so you murder. To hate is to murder, he says. You burn with envy, you're angry, you're not content, you're not happy, so you fight and war. You ask God for things, but, but you ask for wrong purposes and evil, selfish motives. Your intention is that when you get it, you're going to spend it on sensual pleasures. So he's painting a picture here 
of a carnal Christian. Somebody that just looks and acts just like the world. And so then in verse 4, we're going to start reading there. For you are like unfaithful wives, having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. So we know that he's talking about a Christian. Somebody that is a part of the family of God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose? It says, the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us. He yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. Now, just keep that there. Yeah, just, just keep that there, Larry. Uh, God is jealous for our loyalty. He loves us so much that he has provided everything for us, and he wants us to be an example when we go out into the world. And he's jealous of you. He wants you to welcome the Spirit of God for a specific reason. So we're going to find out now in the next verse, verse 6. But he, the Spirit of God, give, or God gives us more and more what? Grace. Now, here is a very good definition of what grace is. The power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. Just leave that up there, Larry. The Holy Spirit has enough power to enable you to meet any of these tendencies that we read before in this, in this chapter. The strife, the anger. We could add, add our present day problems. Addiction. Whatever. Uh, you know, the inability to walk in love. Uh, just all of the things that uh, it talks about here. That the world's having trouble with out there. The world's a mess. I don't know if you've noticed. Hopefully you don't watch the news. But the world is a mess. We should not be a mess too. We should be an example. And here is a clue of how we're going to live victorious. We have available to us some grace, which is help or the power of the Holy Spirit to meet all evil tendencies, this evil tendency that we talked about, and all others fully, completely. That's why he says, God sets himself against the proud and the haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who, listen to this, those who are humble enough to receive it. That's what humility is. Instead of saying, I got this. I can do it on my own. I got this. You know, that would be like uh, somebody that knows. Uh, well, I'll just give you an example. Uh, this is out of my life. Uh, but you know that I, I, 
I have studied writing a lot. I have probably 50, 60 books on how to write. And so I, I've written six books and published. And uh, I mean, I, I know some things that makes a good story. And I learned it. There was a, a lady that had a, a, a story that she had written about her life. And she wanted me to edit it. And I said, okay. And so... Uh, I read it, and I, you know, I could see that this needed to be done here, this needed to be changed, this needed to be done there, and this needed to be done there. And uh, so I got with her, and I said, you know, if you'll do this, and this is, you know, this needs to be done here, and this, this, this. And you know what? She got mad at me. And I never saw her again. I don't know if she ever did anything with her book or not. But I thought... You know, I when I write, and I'm I'm in, I'm Jerry I'm on Jerry in Jerry Jenkins' uh, Writers Guild, and you know he was he was the one that wrote the Left Behind series, and and um, man, I listen to everything he says, and when he says don't do this, I don't do it because he knows more than me. He's an expert, and it would do me well. To listen to him. This is kind of the way it is in what we just read. If you're humble enough to receive God's grace, he's going to give you power to be victorious. He's going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's the way God is. He doesn't just tell you to walk in love. He will give you the ability to walk in love if you cry out to him. The first thing you have to know is something's wrong with me here in this particular area. Something's wrong with me here. And I can't fix it by myself. And I need God. Those are the three most important things. I can't do it on my own. Uh, Look, put up there Titus 2, uh, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God, and here it's using the unmerited favor and blessing again, has come forward, appeared for what? The deliverance from sin and eternal salvation for all mankind. Verse 12. Listen, he has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness or irreligion and worldly passionate desires to live a discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present world. That's what we need to be showing to the world. God has the Holy Spirit and the grace... This is what it's talking about. Grace trains us to reject all ungodliness. Is it an overnight thing? I don't think so. But sometimes it feels like a suddenly. Because I want to tell you an experience. I've, actually, I've had two experiences that are, to me, are phenomenal with the grace of God. 
uh, several years ago. You know, I, uh, Pastor and I were married for 59 and a half years before he went to heaven. So that's a lifetime. That's a long time. And, uh, you know, he's, he was a great husband, and uh, I tried to be a good wife. But, you know, I was, uh, I was raised, uh, I was pretty sensitive, and I was raised in a home that there was some harshness and, and kind of verbal abuse and different things like that. And I, I formed a, a wall around my heart so that I would not get hurt. So I went into uh, our marriage with that wall. And, you know, I did the best I could to act like I loved him, and I thought I did. But, um, you know, I didn't feel, you know, there was, it seemed more like forced than unforced. And uh, this went on for years. And one, day, one night, it was in, in the evening, I had just had enough of the, the I was worn out from trying to do what was right in marriage. And I just did, I, I prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord, help me to love my husband. And I didn't think that was that significant until I woke up the next morning. And I looked at my husband, and I thought, he is the handsomest guy. And I was madly in love with him, like a teenage girl. And I don't know how long we'd been married, but a long time. And I was so in love with him, I thought, wow, this is just way neat. And I don't know what he thought. I think he thought I was, I was trying to, you know, that I had bought something that, that I shouldn't have and, and was trying to butter him up. But after a while, he realized, this is real. And, you know, it changed our whole relationship. And that, that love never died for my husband. And even though it was challenged from time to time, as all relationships are, that love remained there. And I, the, the downside is it was, very, it was more painful when he left. But uh, the good thing is this. I have no regrets. I can stand before you today and say, I have no regrets because I loved my husband fully. But I couldn't make it happen. It was something that the power and the grace of God brought into my life that I couldn't do on my own. What a powerful thing that God can do for us. And, and one of the most recent things is uh, I've always had a fear of failure. Always. And most of you probably didn't know it because I tried to cover it up. But it was hard. When I was getting ready to minister, I would wrestle with this fear of failure and say, oh, God, you got to help me. you got to help me. I mean, uh, it was just hard. And when I started teaching on this Unforced rhythms of grace. That's why I just keep teaching on it. Something happened inside of me, and that fear of failure left. It's gone. 
It is totally gone. I was telling Zeke about it yesterday. And he said, well, when did it leave? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. It just left. Because the power of the Holy Spirit can come in and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's what grace. That's the power. That's the power of grace. What happened to my notes? Oh, there they are. It's the most awkward thing in the world to bend over in front of everybody. So, <laughs> uh, I, just, I was just thinking about um, an example in the Bible. We're not going to turn there, but I was thinking about Joseph. You know, Joseph was a, um, he was a spoiled child, really. He was kind of spoiled. But he was the favorite of his father. You know, his father favored him. He was the firstborn from his, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And, uh, oh, he was his pride and joy. And so Joseph, <coughs> I'm pretty sure that Joseph was really handsome. And I, I can prove that. Because his mother, Rachel, was so gorgeous that Jacob worked 14 years for her. So she was gorgeous. And then when you go back to his grandmother, which is Rebecca... Uh, whenever he, she came and met Isaac, Isaac took one look at her and fell deeply in love with her, so she must have been gorgeous. And then uh, you have to look back at his great-grandmother, who was Sarah, and the king took her into his harem because she was so gorgeous when she was 80 years old. So, I mean, he has some pretty good DNA going there. So he was not only good-looking, he was a favorite of his dad. And um, it appeared that God's hand was on him because he had these dreams. He wasn't very bright, though, in that case, because he told his brothers about it. And you know that his brothers hated him. So, so his story kind of begins when they throw him in the pit, and then they sell him to go to Egypt as a slave, and then he gets into Pot Potiphar buys him. Now, something is going on in Joseph. We don't have an inside look at what was going on in his brain. But we have enough evidence to know that in the middle of all the problems that happened to him, God continued to favor him. Continued to favor him. He found favor with Potiphar. Then whenever he was wrongly accused and thrown in jail, he found favor with the jailer. So we know one thing for sure. He didn't just have favor with God, but he had favor with man. And you cannot have favor with God or man with a bad attitude. Just saying. Let me tell you, if you have a bad attitude... The grace of God will not work on your behalf because you are stopping it. Attitude is everything. And I, this is what I think happened with Joseph. I think when he started getting into these, uh, you know, becoming a slave, he had to make a choice. Am I going to trust God or am I going to feel sorry for myself 
and have bitterness in my heart. And at every point, I believe that he had to make a choice of whether he was going to forgive or if he's going to be bitter. And we find out at the very end of all this situation, he stands before his brothers and he said, you know, you might have thought it was evil. You might have meant evil for me, but God meant good. And out of all this, he has saved a nation. God's grace, that rhythm of grace, if you, if you uh, I kind of see the rhythm as, you know, kind of like a wave. If you ride this rhythm of grace, you are going to go places that you never dreamed you could go. God's grace will take you to the destination that God has for you. That path that he has laid out for you, you ride the waves of grace. Keep a good attitude and it will be amazing what God will do in your life. Now, I want to I kind of wind this up by looking at 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. As uh, Paul, he really had a revelation of grace, the right revelation of grace. 2 Corinthians uh, 12, we're going to start with uh, verse, uh, probably verse 7. Uh, up until this time in this chapter... He, uh, he's talking about a man that went to heaven and then came back. And he's talking about himself. We know that because in verse 7, And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness of these revelations. So we know he was actually talking about himself. He had had a visitation, gone to heaven, come back. There was given to me a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, and I just want to stop there for just a second. Uh, how many of you have heard people say that the thorn in the flesh is a sickness or a disease? People do teach that. I was talking to someone not too long ago, and they said, well, you know, God want the, he doesn't want everybody to be healed. Because look at Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. And I said, have you read the whole verse? Do you know what that, what that thorn was? A messenger of Satan to rack and buffet and harass me to keep me from being exceedingly exalted. I've read history as says that there was this one man that just hated what Paul was teaching. And every town that he would go to, he would follow him and try to stir up a riot. And I believe that's probably what he was talking about. Because see, God, Jesus made provision for our healing that means we don't have to be sick it's right alongside of our of forgiveness of our sins i mean he healed he forgave us our iniquity and healed all of our diseases uh, that's in psalms 103 but he doesn't promise us that we won't be persecuted there is a suffering sometimes that we have to go through and that's persecution Many times, and I, I could give you several scriptures, uh, Matthew 5, 11, John 15, 20. Let's just put John 15, 20 up there real quick. Um, just, just to prove that fact. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master, is not superior to him. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word and obey my teachings, they will also keep and obey yours. So he's saying, you know, they persecuted me pretty bad. Uh, I, you know, he never promised us that we wouldn't be persecuted. And so uh, Paul was getting a little ticked at this man. I mean, he was a little aggravated. He's having to fight through all this stuff. And so in verse 8, it says, in, uh, back to 2 Corinthians 12, Three times I called upon the Lord and besought him about this, begging that it might depart from me. Now, this thorn in the flesh is a person. And I could prove that to you from Judges 2.3, Numbers 33.55. It talks about uh, people that were going to be thorns in your flesh, pricks in your eyes. So just, just saying. So Paul is saying... Could, God, can't you just do something about this? Can't you do something about this man? I mean, I don't know. If it had been me, I'd probably say, you know, God, don't you get, have a spare bolt of lightning that you could just release? I mean, get him out of my life. I've had it. And God said to, he said, he said this to me, my grace, and uh, we know Favor, loving kindness, mercy. We also know power of the Holy Spirit to meet this tendency. My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient against danger and enables you to bear trouble manfully. That's what we saw in Joseph. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled, and completed, and show themselves most effective in your weakness. So just stop there for just a second. You may think God doesn't like you because you're weak in some area. He loves it when you call on him when you're weak. He doesn't expect you to be strong in some areas. He expects him to be strong in those areas for you. And so, it's, uh, therefore, I am all the more gladly Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities. Why? That the strength and the power of Christ the Messiah may rest. Yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell up on me. Glory. I love that picture. Do you think God's tent's a little bit more powerful than your tent? Go ahead. Go to the next one. <clears throat> so for the sake of Christ... I am well pleased and take pleasure in infirmities or weaknesses. That's what that means. Insults, hardships, persecution, perplexities, and distresses. For listen, when I am weak in human strength, then am I truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that will give us more and more grace. You may have needed grace today for something, but tomorrow it had gotten worse and you need more grace. You will never run out of grace. God will never run out of grace. He will give you more and he'll give you more and he'll give you more. And pretty soon people will start saying, boy, she is really strong. She's the strongest woman I know. Or he's really strong. 
He's the strongest man I know. You know, people have said that about me during the six, six months, and I think, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. I am not strong in my own self. I am not strong, but I have a tent that can be pitched over me. And I can, I can be strong. About two, two, three weeks after Pastor went on to heaven, uh, I was called on to do a, a funeral. And the day before the funeral, I cried all day long. The day of the funeral, you couldn't pay me to cry. The day after the funeral, I cried all day long. And I experienced the tent of the Holy Spirit that came on me. And I changed into a different person. And God has that available for all of us. His grace is sufficient. His grace, it's not just a, a sweet scripture. Oh, yes. His grace is sufficient. No, listen. The power of the Holy Spirit coming on you to empower you to do what you can't do on your own is sufficient. It is sufficient. Hallelujah. So I want to look at Hebrews 4.16 as we close this morning. You know what? I'm going to back up. Larry, would you put 1 Corinthians 15, 10 uh, in the Passion Translation before I, I do this last scripture? Uh, no, I want 1 Corinthians 15. Well, we'll go to this one, the last. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, okay. But this is Paul talking. Listen. But God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest. Yet not in my own strength, but God's. For his empowering grace is poured out on me. We can all say that. It's God's grace. It's not, it's not our own self. God's got greater things for you than what you can do on your own. He's got greater things for you than that. He's got awesome grace that will propel you into supernatural places where you can be a testimony and a witness and God's hand to other people. Now, Larry, if you'll put up Hebrews 4.16, please. So this is the bottom line right here. So let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners. We were once sinners. We're not anymore. You know, we're not old sinners saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are new creations, new creatures in Christ. 
And so we can draw near to that throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-tamed help. Hallelujah. Coming just when we need it. Hallelujah. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.